Hi, welcome to a new episode of Engineering Rebuild. Do you think you know a lot about construction? Maybe we can provide a fresh perspective. This is a podcast where we rebuild preconceptions of engineering. Reclaim the narrative. And share the voices of women from across the construction industry. Why not join us? Let's get started. Welcome to our latest episode of the Engineering Rebuilt podcast. Tina and I this week are super excited to be talking to our guest Sophie Morris, who we know quite well. Uh, we hosted an event together last week uh, for She Builds Collective, our first in-person networking event, which was fabulous. Are recording a podcast this week because there's loads of things about Sophie that we've not had a chance to talk about yet. Uh, and um, yeah, I would like everyone listening to also know about Sophie. Would you like to start by introducing yourself? Absolutely. Hi, Lena. Hi, Tina. Really lovely to see you today. Uh, and thanks for having me. My name is Sophie and I'm half English, half French genuinely uh brought up and born and raised in paris by english parents so a lovely mix of both and i came over to london for university studied civil engineering at ucl uh well met lena and and stayed in north london pretty much ever since (laughs) um and after our civil engineering degree i was very hands-on went from working in oil and gas on oil rigs to construction sites and now I work for a construction tech startup which hopefully we can talk a bit more about later on and on the side I've recently graduated or finished a 200 hour yoga teacher training course so I can also teach yoga legally ish on the side <laughs> um and yeah that's me in a nutshell yeah so what I found really exciting about kind of your career background and really inspirational about what you've done through uh, the years that we've been working is uh, your ability to move between different parts of the industry um, and uh, also different countries. So you started working for an oil and gas company in Norway. What was that like for somebody who knows nothing about oil and gas? What does that mean to be on a graduate scheme doing oil and gas? So the actual full story is that I was supposed to work in Argentina. Um, uh, that's when I accepted the job. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I have, I, I love to move around and I've always loved the idea of being able to travel through work kind of, and I like the idea of being an expat, like living where you travel. I always feel that, you know, um, I always had this thing when I go traveling, surely this place doesn't exist when I finish my holiday. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's had this wish <laughs> feeling before. Um, and 
basically, you know, these career fairs we had at university, I, I knew I wanted to do construction management. I really enjoyed being on site the summer beforehand. Um, and then with this love of traveling, uh, someone came up to one of the uh, firms, said, do you want to go travel the world, work really hard and, you know, do something different? And I was like, yeah, sure. Sign me up to the interview. Uh, and they warned me that it was going to be awful uh, and far away and a lot of traveling, like being really far away. Um, and basically you get more money, the harder, and the further away you go. <laughs> um, my first offer was to go to Chad, which um, I just can't handle the heat. So I said no. And then the next thing was uh, Argentina, which I was like, yeah, love it. Love a Malbec. So, um, and, <laughs> and in the end, um, I did my training, three months of training uh, in Abu Dhabi. So they train you uh, for three months before you do anything. They, they, there's exams, they teach you everything about oil and gas. So you basically, there was a mix there of chemical, ele electrical, civil engineering, uh, you know, chemical engineers, and actually renownedly, the civil engineers <laughs> failed the course. <laughs> um, so apparently they were surprised <laughs> that I made it. And you can get fired if you don't pass that three months. Like, you know, it's, they don't send, you, you know, you really need to be prepared and it's an intensive training. So you, you get paid to train for three months, which kind of was like, why not do it? Because I'm going to learn a whole new other skill set. I did it. Uh, and then I was supposed to actually go to Azerbaijan. They changed it from Argentina to Azerbaijan. And then my visa got blocked. Uh, they didn't want me there. Um, and then in the end, I went to what they call the Michelin star of oil rigs, which is Norway, which is um, renownedly the, the oil rigs are really nice. Uh, but you get a lot less money because it's nice. And then the cost of living is much more expensive. So basically, it's like. <laughs> but yeah, and that's what happened. And it was amazing to realize that you could you could learn anything and still do it. And I then. Uh, didn't particularly enjoy the day-to-day -day of the role, but I do not regret what I learned. And I really, I can always say that I commuted to work in a helicopter, which, uh, you know, um, is scary and exciting at the same time. And I really don't regret it, but it was on an oil rig that the guys I was working with, because uh, it was mainly guys, I'm not going to lie, um, other than the canteen lady, <laughs> um, they, they said, why do you, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to build bridges. And they were like, well, what are you doing here? And, and they, you know, they helped me decide, you know, they were like, we're stuck now. We've done this and this is our career and our rotation. And they get, you know, a few weeks on, a few weeks off. And they're like, you've got your whole career ahead of you, you know, go and do what you want to do. And so, yeah, don't regret it. But that was my stint, nine months in total in oil and gas and don't ever give me a room with a sea view i don't need that <laughs> i've done the room with the sea view <laughs> i'm very jealous um that you get to commute in a helicopter i mean that's next level um but what's what like what's it like uh, an average day so an oil rig works 24 7 so it never stops. Um, it costs something around a million to run an oil rig a day, something like that. So every hour of the drill rig is um, 
costs money. And what I did was um, services to go and check the rig is in good state. So the cement, the structure of it, and mainly I was doing logging tools that you put in the well to go and check how things are doing. And usually we get to come in when there's a problem, which means that they have to stop their operations. And every minute of our work is time that they're not making money. That's as simple as that. And um, mine was a producing, uh, mainly producing uh, oil rig, not exploratory ones. Um, and you work by shifts, 12 hour shifts, night shift or day shift, minimum 12 hours, maximum 16 hours. Um, and usually when you start, you go on the night shift because it's kind of less likely that something bad will happen at night, but <laughs> you never know. And uh, you share a cabin with someone, but you never see them because they're on the other shift. So you never meet them, but you, you share like, um, you see their product in the showers. Sometimes it's a guy, but you're not allowed to go into the room while they're sleeping. That's their time. So if you happen to finish your shift earlier, like you can't go in because if you've worked at night in the day, you need to let them rest. Um, so yeah, really regiment, uh, regimented in Norway anyway, it was, uh, 12 hour maximum 16 hours if you're running an operation but then they kick you back you know you need to leave um and you get a, a third of your time off when you get back on shore so um if you take a week uh on no i think if you take three weeks on the rig you get a week off you're not supposed to go to work you're supposed to get that time off because you've been like 24 hours over there what does your time off look like when you're on the rig so that social time or the time that's yours when you're not working or sleeping it's like a cruise like there's a cinema room there's a gym uh there's the canteen there's you know uh every phone on the rig you can call any number in the world for free <laughs> so uh because you're not allowed your phones yeah you have to lock your phone up uh before you go onto the rig at the helipad you're not allowed to bring your phone but you're allowed to bring your computer so you can Facebook message, uh, you can Skype, those sort of things, but you're not allowed to take pictures or call anyone because of the, um, it's like a plane, you know, the, uh, it can mess with the signals and everything. Um, so when you come off back from, I'm sure you take your phone out and it's like, ding, 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 like on your phone and your things. Um, but yeah, it's mainly like you would, you just go to sleep, have your food, and 12 hours so you work 12 hours but your break is 12 hours so by the time you've mentally switched off like you need to get back up again you know it just starts at 6 a.m so you know you need to be pretty strict with yourself so after you worked on oil rigs in norway you came back to the uk and you worked in uh building construction in, in the uk and i know you've done some other quite a wide range of different projects over the course of your career what has been your favorite project to work on? Yeah. So funnily enough, when I decided to quit oil and gas, I'd actually already decided months, months before. Um, I think that kept me going. I, I joined a graduate program and it only started back in September. So I knew I had time. So I'd made that decision. I knew that by the next September, I actually called back a graduate program I'd said no to and kind of groveled. And they were like, well, well, we still want you, but this time you have to come in September. And I was like, I will, don't worry. Um, and actually 
weird circle of life. Uh, there was a project at UCL to build a U university uh, building. And I'd studied at UCL, so they were like, amazing. Why don't we have, you know, uh, someone who learned how to build at UCL, build something at UCL. And so I was the face of the project and it was actually really, really lovely to go back to build where I'd learned how to build and be part of that legacy. Um, it's a beautiful campus and, you know, two and a half years, I was there from the start to finish, uh, even helped, you know, when we were doing logistical plans, I knew, you know, between holidays where people would walk, like, for my team, it was amazing that I knew all the insights about the holidays, who would be around, you know, for noise and disturbance. And then obviously the, the university loved it, uh, using me for career fairs and, and I managed to bring loads of students to site uh, and connect back with my uh, department. So yeah, I think it was really special though. Everyone was like, are you ever going to leave this place? Like you left, went to Aura Rigs and you came back <laughs> to UCL. So um, it was quite nice. The student coffee was still cheap. Uh, the student bars, we were allowed because we were contractors, we were able to go to uh, to have uh, pints at the, um, the unions, yeah. Uh, so those cheap pints were, were pretty nice. Um, but it felt really special. And I always wanted to build a bridge with the idea of I'm going to drive over a bridge and say I was part of this. Probably won't ever be part of a bridge. Um, I will always admire them. Uh, but... I cycle past that building still now and I, I walk into it and I see people using it, you know, students using it. Um, and I don't know, it's such a great feeling. And I have people who send me pictures. Oh, look, this is what you worked on. Um, that's an amazing feeling. Although you always look at the problems. You're like, oh, that leak, that chip on, on the floor or this. You remember, you know, and every time we go, people are like, oh, I'm done hearing about all of this. <laughs> but it's very, very special. Um, and hopefully he's going to be there for one. Yeah, really proud of that, but definitely a, a, a highlight in my career, for sure. And then you made a leap into startup construction tech. <laughs> so how did you decide to go from, because they are very different, right? How did you decide to switch over from one to the other? So I think like any professional, at some point you start thinking about your career and what you want. And I'd become quite comfortable where I was. Obviously, I knew a lot of people and there was a certain career path for me. And I think I wanted to make an informed decision uh, this time, you know, not quitting oil and gas like I did. You know, this was I knew construction was the industry I wanted to be in. I started to think about what I wanted for, you know, five, ten years ahead. Um, and so I started just, you know, on LinkedIn, I, I put like open to opportunities and so not looking, but open to hear about opportunities. And obviously recruiters, you know, start messaging you and then you start realizing that you say yes. And then most of them don't respond. And, then, you know, there's a few, you know, you start having your own kind of, you set, you, you know, aside having a CV and something ready just to, you know, do the ping pong and just to see until someone was actually serious about a few opportunities. And I met a few general contractors some subcontractors i just considered going to work directly for a subcontractor because i'd worked for um, a main contractor so i wanted to maybe go you know full um how experience that and then basically i realized that if i was going to move it wasn't to go and do the same thing elsewhere 
I decided that if I wanted to, if I was going to move, it was going to be for something different, uh, something, you know, I was very, I was enjoying most of the day to day. I just wanted more for myself, just opportunities that I didn't feel were coming my way or not quickly enough. Maybe you'd rather not very patient. <laughs> um, if I know I, you know, if I want something, so, uh, it's a good thing and a bad thing, but this place, you know, th- this, this workplace, I'd really, I'd built that patience and I'd learn and, you know, I was really, had really enjoyed the years I'd been there. And I, I when I looked for the opportunities, I realized I wouldn't be happy doing the same thing somewhere else. So if I was going to do the same thing, I'd stay where I was. And that's how my open to opportunity really was open to different opportunities and a few things started coming up and one day, yeah, I had this opportunity for construction tech, uh, and this recruiter, the vibe was good. And so I responded and I was like, send me more, send me the brochure. And you know, the, the ping pong was there. I was like, Oh, professional. Uh, we jumped on a call and then she was like, you know, construction. I was like, yep. Yeah. She's like, do you know tech? And I was like, Nope. <laughs> She's like, do you think you could get your head around it? And maybe it's that having done oil and gas, maybe, you know, that confidence that you can learn. And, you know, I think learning as an adult is an amazing thing to do. I was like, well, what's the worst that can happen? And when she told me what these guys did, I was like, because again, there's three founders and I, I tend to say guys for people, but no, it was three, it was the guys at the time. Um, they had this idea and I was like, I actually thought I'd speak to them as a laugh. I was like, no way you can get this done. Um, and, and then I spoke to one of the founders and we just really hit it off on the phone. It was just like, bam, bam, bam. And, and then he was like, wait, you work on site. Like you actually work on site. And I was like, yeah, why? What's the big deal? And, and they've been trying to meet people who work on site. It's really hard. Like your hours, you're not really on LinkedIn when you're a site manager, really you're, um, your phone number, you have professional phone numbers that you turn off when, uh, you know, uh, you can go through the switchboard and sometimes people chance it. They're like, go to the switchboard and try and get through to you. But, and people get reached out a lot. And so imagine the idea of a construction tech anyway. So they were like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Do you actually work on site? And I was like, yeah. And then I was working in Paris at the time and, and they were like, and I was going back to London a lot. And so. Yeah, we met up and yeah, the rest is history. They looking back, I'm like, it was pre COVID and I was very confident that, you know, it, it helped me leave because it was different and the company I was working for, they actually thought I was mad. They said, you're, you know, you've got, you're ruining your career. And I said, well, worst case, if it goes tits up, can I come back? And they were like, of course, doors always open. I was like, well, there you go. Um, and then they told me to not come and sell them the software and now we're working with them in some projects. So, you know, <laughs> you never know. So yeah, it's, I was definitely open to something different and I knew it had, I wanted it to be in construction and now it's opened my eyes even more to so many different things you can do, uh, in construction. And what I look after is mainly, uh, it's very much still connected to the site teams me and my team make sure that the site teams get the most out of using the software. So I feel really happy to keep that hands-on connection, even though I've made a decision to leave that site life on a day-to-day basis. That's some incredible advice, I think, for 
like our listeners on how to how like you're not set in stone and how you don't have to decide your career when you're a graduate how it is possible to make moves across countries across sectors um but the the one story i want you to tell is how you were a sophie team of one <laughs> and where you're up to now <laughs> right yeah um roughly i think i joined the company at like number 15. So I was number 15 in the company. I think we're approximately somewhere in the 200 to 250 people now. And I have basically roughly a team of 15 now. So it's insane. And that's happened in two years, two and a half years. So that is the life of a startup, hyper growth. And we might make it, we might not. We, I don't know if you guys know the term of a unicorn. If a startup succeeds, you know, those billion valuations, IPO that go public or that they're called unicorns because it's so rare. I think 95% of startups tank. Um, and we're, we're startup because we rely on the money of our investors to pay the bills and keep going at the minute. We're not profitable. That is you no, know, and they're giving us money in the hope that we will be profitable and they will make, I don't know four or five times their investment if it pays off. So yeah, it's, it's a complete, like different, um, complete different mindset to construction and the margins. It's, it's, um, it's just really, really interesting for me. And I managed people on site, like, you know, I made sure people went home safely and moved in the direction they were supposed to. Um, and I didn't have that much involvement in recruitment. I, I had I line managed people, but you know, they came to me, whereas now I, I really get get to see the recruitment, the training, looking ahead, your resources. And I want to apologize for some of the tantrums I gave my bosses in the past because it's really hard <laughs> to keep everyone happy and moving the right direction. And um and yeah, I think you live and learn, you just live and learn a bit quicker and um the, the highs are highs in a startup and the lows are very low. Like, you know, when, when it doesn't work out with a client, you really, you know, we do take it a bit personally, even though we, we shouldn't. But um, at the end of the day, the people we, I work with, um, I, I don't think that's what brought me to this job. The people from the start, the founders, speaking to them, there was the vibe, a really great vibe. And this, let's give it a go. Do you want to be part of the journey? And right now we're starting to get a bit... <laughs> you know, investors want their returns and want to see things in the right direction. And we're trying to keep the, what, why did we start this in the first place? And it's the people, it's the industry. And, you know, sometimes taking a step back, remembering that we're not surgeons, that we're, you know, no one's dying and yeah. And, and that we're contributing to that, that the use of the software will hopefully avoid unnecessary trips on site and make sure that, you know, um, it's less people reaching out, less, you know, um, potentially going to dangerous zones with a robot and a software. Uh, I know, I know in gas, we're exposed to radiation. There's lots of things that, you know, if we can avoid a human getting hurt, that's great. So a lot of people say, oh, you work for startup, do you save lives? I was like, well, maybe not directly, but yeah, I think that, uh, we are contributing to creating a better work-life balance and, you know, relying less on humans going out on site. Um, so yeah, that's the big drive for me. 
and that's what keeps me going uh even though it's not easy every day <laughs> for sure <laughs> so we have um we have one question that we always ask um and that is what would you like to see different in uh, the construction industry in five years time so i think it's already started i think i've seen it but i think i'd want it to increase more and i think i've experienced it is the flexibility uh the more flexible work um and especially returning to work um in a in a really ideal whether people want kids or not i think a shared maternity and paternity leave is something that um you know from the scandinavian countries and like i want people you know if we could live in a world where yeah people take the same time off with a you know a, a, a baby made by two people <laughs> and i think men still feel like oh is it going to look bad or weak if i don't take the time off um and i think whether you want kids or not knowing that that's that's how things happen that you know it's i think that's something a goal that i would love to um and i know i'm advocating for that in my company now when you know there are people who have been in positions that have had babies no one's even noticed and you know it, it's a shame because it's it's a big deal and it's important people are there for that um but yeah all the move to technology flexible working on site i've seen it with some of my clients they started really putting in rotors uh you know late finishes and early finishes and some of the team you know finish earlier on a friday and it's amazing to see that happen because i don't think you can effectively be um paying attention or acting safely or really efficient for 12 hours and being there on site and i think sharing that responsibility is something that um yeah i think will help people come back to work and share that responsibility if people get used to like no like tonight there's a late shift <laughs> that guy's gone home and no he's on the early fish on a friday we do it with trades you know they show up on a monday and they leave early on a friday to head back <laughs> to wherever they're coming from. that's why experienced on site i don't see why it should be on the gc to be there until the last lift on the crane or the last pour of the concrete just in case something happens it's you know we can be smarter and make sure people get the rest they need to be more alert and have the flexibility to to have a personal life and to do things uh that they want to do uh which i was able with this crazy job like i work less hours but more intensely now but the difference is that i get to for example i did a six months training course to become a yoga teacher in the evenings and at weekends and i had to carve out times i had to miss some early morning meetings because i was doing yoga and it hasn't impacted my career and probably helped me create better boundaries with work and people respect that so i think it's giving that flexibility uh, i often hear people say oh i wish i had some kids so i can get out of this meeting and it's like that's not like you know it doesn't need to be a kid it's like we all deserve to have our focus time our breathing time our lunch breaks our coffee and i'm trying to you know i often i've started joining meetings on my phone because i i get zoom fatigue <laughs> uh i prefer walking around i miss just phone calls on site it was very like phone call like just now i say to people just just drop me a text give me a call i love you know even with my friends now so i just call them rather than like can we book in a when are you free so um yeah 
that's the change I'd like to see is um, I, I'm not sure the four, you know, if everyone were to go four days, I'd be amazing. But I think we're still quite far away from that. I actually think that having five days, but with that breathing space, like we can't be on it back to back for 12 hours a day, five days a week. That's just not possible. And it's about those mornings, those lunches, those evenings as well. Um, just making sure everyone that it works for different people and not everyone is a morning person, an evening person and, and it's good to have a bit of everything. Measure the results, not the, the hours. Make the hours count, not count the hours. It's definitely where I'd like to go. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think Tina does as well. Um, one thing I think about, I know that we have a massive resource issue in the construction industry at the moment where we have a massive pipeline of work and, and across, uh, across all companies, uh, it's a real struggle to find people to fill those spaces. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like where, where previously we've recruited a lot of our people from a small group of um, traditionally white men, if we're now putting so much effort into widening that recruitment into the entirety of the population, it should give us access to enough people that if we now have enough people, we could start to be smarter about our flexible working. So maybe maybe we recruit a couple extra people, but they're working less hours and that the project is getting the same resource, but people have that space for their lives on, on top of their work and we're able to um, make adjustments that suit people on an individual basis so they can get the work-life balance that they want for for their life and it's not so um ingrained that it has to be one specific way um that would be really exciting <laughs> and and also shared uh better shared parental leave um not just um not just for um directly after you have a child but there's so many statistics around what um what the long-term impacts are of of one parent taking a significant amount of the parental leave compared to the other parent and what does that does for your um career opportunities your um your pay over time so the biggest impact um the biggest impact on on gender pay differences is after you have children that's when the gap really starts to grow between men and women so i think understanding that and um having better shared parental leave policies so that um there's equal opportunities at that stage is really important what do you think tina yeah i think you're spot on both of you and we've had some really interesting conversations in the past where it's become um, like where parents are actually losing money by the um, woman returning to work because of the cost of childcare, which in my mind is just absolute madness. Um, so there's definitely a little bit of work or a lot of work needed um, to, I guess, make parental leave more equal. And the other, the other thing that... Um, I'm very passionate about Sophie's your like you talked about um flexible working this mention of job share part-time working and that idea 
um, I guess, around fitting your yoga schedule in. Because a lot of people talk about family, but not a lot of people talk about having fun outside of work. I mean, I'm not sure it was fun. <laughs> I don't think they tell you before you sign up, but it was like, I'm not going to lie, I treated it like pick up from school. Like, you know, I never, you know, I respect when people put out of office picking up school, you know, and I had to create that boundary. I had to leave and, and and sometimes I had people walking with me to the lifts and the lift door was closing. I was like, bye. <laughs> I know I need to be on a yoga mat in an hour and I need to change and I need to calm down and I need to give this, you know, it's a personal financial investment. It's an investment in myself, you know, and, and the people of the course, the teachers, and God knows I, it really took me and I'm really glad it happened. It started in September, finished in March and I had Christmas as that break to really take it all in, take that time off work to really, you know, I came back from Christmas and like, you're at risk of messing this up and, and trying to fit it all in. And I actually said no to a few work trips, said no to a few things. I was like, these will still be available in six months in a year, but, this time I'm giving myself um, and and this taught me outside off the mat to to show up on time you know I don't know if anyone's ever thought about when you cancel a last minute yoga class that teacher's been planning a class you know with you know that teacher is self-employed and looking at the people coming and you know it's I've just had a, a much bigger appreciation for showing up and for even if you're not in the mood, don't worry. And actually, you're probably not alone. There were other people who had kids, other situations. Some people, you know, at the start of the course were way more into it than others and, and then dropped off and it's towards the end. You know, everyone has their own journey with learning. Some people take loads of notes. Some people <laughs> don't. Um, and, but you have to really, what I learned was the importance of showing up for yourself mainly. and choosing your battles and a few things dropped you know a few people were a bit upset when and even on your personal life I couldn't travel to things sometimes I couldn't show up to certain things um but in the long run the people who care for you and respect you will always appreciate you choosing yourself even if sometimes you know it's fighting that instant gratification of pleasing everyone and you know I did this course for myself and I'm so glad I did. And it was not easy every day. <laughs> um, and it showed me, even around me, who was really supportive and who wasn't as supportive. You know, some one of someone at work told me, oh, you know, they got nervous. They're like, oh, but, you know, you wouldn't quit. You'd be bored to be a yoga teacher full time. I was like, you know, wait, why are you even thinking about that? Like, me, you know, <laughs> it's, it, you know, people obviously got scared. Like, Ooh, life outside of work. Are they going to go and do that full time? Like, I don't know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and now I know that if I wanted to, that's something I, I could do. But no, that's not the plan at the minute. It's definitely um, something like doing as a hobby. Saying yes to opportunities, though, isn't it? Um, I think that's but like just learning to say no as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's right <laughs> learning to say yes and no to the right opportunities and showing up for yourself 
I absolutely love that. And it's like, it's really, really wholesome. Um, and I think that's something that isn't considered a lot anymore. Um, I'm aware of time. I think that's actually just a really nice way to finish off the podcast on a, on a yoga, on a self-care note. But do you have any final bits of advice or anything you'd like our listeners to, um, to know about? Um, I just really glad that you guys have started and that you're giving people an opportunity to talk about, um, their journeys. I think it's so easy because there's so few of us in my own experience, so few other women I've met in my career, or I have seen many more in the last 10 years, I have to say, which is really lovely. Um, but I only know my my view of it and my own experience and you guys giving me the opportunity to hear about other people uh and i've had so much great feedback from me opening up as well and i really i had a bit of a blockage before she builds recently i'd kind of had a google never forgets moment after doing a lot of stuff as a young graduate thinking this is going to help and then looking back thinking I was not helping myself <laughs> I was helping someone else's agenda um so yeah I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with this and you guys really helped me get back to that engagement and realizing that talking about it is the most important thing um and that's all we can do that's the the change I can do in my sphere is talk about it even if sometimes it's a bit excruciating to, to, to you know blow your own trumpet but I never was given you know any barriers my my dad my family just always like follow what you want to do and for some reason for me that was construction I see cranes I see concrete I enjoy um the vibe there's just something about it and no one's ever said no and I'm just keep I'm keep going until someone tells me to to not do it and I've had a few roadblocks or little things along the way and sometimes some people chose to not work you know there's always going to be something stopping you but it's not just your career and if I could take that advice offline off outside your career is it feels right for you and you fancy it then I just say go for it and then I don't know there's yeah like it's your life and I think someone said it's not you only live once you live a lot of times but you only die once so it's like, you know, shifting it into mess up a few times, just go try it. And, uh, you know, like kids, when they fall down, you have to let them fall down the stairs a few times just so they understand, like, you know, you know, you've seen babies, it's like not, and they, on the ice, you know, if you put them on skates and they fall and then they, they're not, you know, they're like, and then they get back up until, you know, okay, I've got my balance. And yeah, I think it's great to learn new things as an adult and just, say yes don't go full yes man maybe but you know every now and again especially now that we can see people in person we can do more stuff it's so nice to to be able to reconnect with people yeah i think that's brilliant and i think that's a good way to end as well because um it, it may not look like it for you who's inside the bubble of your own life i guess but from the outside i think one of your real strengths and what people will um look look to you for is like that strength to uh, uh 
move around, which might seem really easy, but to try oil and gas and think, oh, no, this isn't right, and then move and try something else and think, oh, I like construction, but let's try some different part of it because it might be better for me, and just to keep moving and then uh, to go out there and do, do the yoga piece as well. The key is not burning your bridges, definitely. As long as you don't build your, uh, don't burn your bridges, definitely build them. But change is all good as long as you manage it properly. And that's something I'm very proud of that I've never closed the door to any of the people I've worked with and never left in a, you know, even when it's been difficult. Um, yeah, it's, it's having that, you're your own brand, right? So 100%, definitely. Sometimes moving around is a is a red flag, right? But I'd like to think that I have a reason for all of my moves and just make sure that it fits into to your life plan. I would, yeah, don't go chasing the quick move and the quick, you know, just really think about how it fits in and stay t- true to your values for sure. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on our podcast. It's been so good to have you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Engineering Rebuilt. We hope you enjoyed being part of the conversation. Please join us next time to hear more diverse stories from people who are reclaiming their narrative to rebuild engineering.